podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie, and I'm here with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hey, Guthrie. How are you? And uh, Great. And we have a very special guest today as well. We do. Are you, do, doing, are you uh, doing the introductions? I'll introduce our Great. guest. This is, we have with us today Grant Kroll. And Grant and I actually go back a ways. I don't even know, Grant, when we first started communicating. I, do you remember? <laughs> yeah, when dinosaurs roamed the planet. I think. Oh, come on. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, I remember. It was back in the days when I was... And search. Hi, Grant Kroll, everyone, in case you guys probably were wondering who's the strange man, the strange voice. Uh, yeah, I remember it was back in SEO meets user experience UX days and time at Human Factors and where we were really on the pioneer cutting edge of trying to marry these two things and remember meeting in person and then working on a few projects. And it was great to find someone else who really, really got, you know, what it is about. Humans and tech are interrelated and not siloed. So when when we were talking before um, before we started recording, I said, "Yeah, so you know what what title should I use for you?" And you said, "Well, call me a social wordsmith." So right. that's what that now I'd like you to explain what that means. Sure. How I choose to call myself a social wordsmith is. Obviously, you can tell from my experience, I've worn many hats and it becomes harder and harder to say, you do this one thing. I call myself that today as my sweet spot where I am very good with crafting communication for people, no matter what industry they're in, so that they can dialogue more effectively at work, uh, especially in the tech space where sometimes communication is often a challenge. Uh, so sometimes it's on the wordsmith, it's the choice of words, it's clarity, it's creativity. I mean, my own background is as an author and before I was in tech, I was a cartoonist and I was an editorial um, writer for several newspapers and journalist. And that didn't pay too great. I even worked in talk radio too. And sometimes I would figure out what were the really good choice of words first to get an audience's attention, but then also moving over to SEO and find out what are the things you are paying attention to what people would search for. Uh, however, that was not enough for me. I figured it's for it to really stick, I had to build a connection with another human being and hence the social part. Now, granted, I've worked as a social media director for an agency. I've worked in social media for a tech company. Uh, I, I've done a lot of it. Um, I don't choose to do that as my full-time thing anymore. But I found that to be really important is to know how to have social skills along with your choice of words so it makes you more mindful. Um, what I like to say is I'm tech savvy and I really worked on my soft skills. What I like to say is soft skills for a hard digital world. So, you know, you use the term SEO, which I think most of our audience will no, but maybe not, um, which stands for search engine optimization. And I got to tell you, that whole world, uh, you know, one of the things that's, that is still seems to be present, I think, and maybe it's just me, is that there's still an incredible amount of silo stuff going on. Like, you know, you have the UX or user experience field, you have the design field, you have the visual design field, and those those seem to be blending better. But then you've got, you know, SEO. I've, I feel like the, in fact, I had someone say to me recently, is that still happening? 
<laughs> and it was like, I, th- I think there's still people doing that. Um, but I mean, that to me, that was a sign of the fact that some of these areas, which I don't know, are they tech? Are they tech and marketing? They still haven't blended like with the whole design world. And I think I'm, I'll give you a chance to answer that in a second. I keep throwing, I keep thinking of things to ask you about. So then before or somewhere in your answering of that, another thing that I think is still not necessarily integrated enough is the whole idea of wordsmithing and words and content when it comes to design. We had on here um, not too long ago, I'm looking, I'm turning here to look at my bookshelf. Uh, Guthrie, we, the, the two guys who wrote the book, uh, uh, Writing is Designing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we had a great conversation about how, how, about how the writing and the words and what what you say and how you say it, how that is part of design, but we still don't necessarily see it that way. So now that I've thrown all of that at you, go ahead and pick something to respond to. I'll let you decide. <laughs> okay, that's okay. I see squirrels all the time. <laughs> I, I, I I followed a lot of what you said in the first part <laughs> about silos. Well, it's good that I have something I can take notes down because this okay. is what I would deal all the time in the tech space. And here's the funny thing. I'm, I'm a guy that for a good part of my life had undiagnosed ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But in a way, kind of the, the empathy I gained from working online where I could see other people who were neurotypical, it's a nice way of saying not, not on the spectrum, would struggle. Uh, it gave, it gave me empathy as a way I could say, welcome to my world. And sometimes it was rattling off a whole bunch of things without stopping, pause and reflecting, or sometimes other workers not reflecting and, and making sure they had clarity, clarification on stuff. Sometimes there might be someone throwing out a whole bunch of acronyms without checking if other people knew what they were talking about. And that happens really often on, on the tech level, especially at enterprise level companies where there are just so many people. And sometimes Different departments have different meanings for the same acronyms. And I had a word for that called acronym because I I literally, and I say literally, literally, I mean, I counted over 200 acronyms in my time working for one of those companies. And so I, in a sense, became a librarian, but I found if I could use the word, I could laugh rather than be frustrated. But I saw other people's frustration and that kind of miscommunication when you say silos, like IT could be having their own language. The design team could be having their own language. Uh, Marketing could have their own language. Multimedia could have their own language And, and many more groups, even legal. And this is what came in handy because I have worked in so many spaces in the tech and marketing space. I, in a sense, became like the translator but I knew I had to do it in a way that wasn't just about clarity, but it was about being creative and finding words that basically people could have a laugh because I knew they'd be stressed out when not communicating well, like, okay, deadlines were missed, priorities weren't understood. And what does that mean? That means loss of productivity, uh, you don't make your goals. Worst case situation is some people get cut from the team because um, you you didn't show performance. And that does happen. And a lot of that could be avoided by having good communication. And I really found that in the tech space, and this isn't across the board, there's always, there's always exceptions, but I found more often than not, a lot of tech folks, especially in the IT space, were really poor about emotional intelligence. They might know how to use a tool, but they were not good teachers. They were not good learners. They were not good communicators for people who were not like them. And because I dealt with IT, even in the early days of search engine optimization, 
I, I, I got an understanding of this. And so I thought that I took a, I took a year to write my book called Grandtasms, Creative Twisted Words for Cool People. And it was just a way of me discovering on how creating and sharing your own twisted words is a great way to break the ice, to turn frustrations into like a creation game. And it puts you in a much better state of mind. And then I also found it was really great for my ADHD. I could focus. I could think clearly. I could manage emotions a lot better, especially when things were stressful for people. And uh, it also became really good icebreakers. And soon enough, I found I was the one teaching people like project managers or product owners how to be organized, how to be focused. But I used the humor first to show that I could have empathy. And that's when I thought this book could be really, really helpful. And granted, it's while there's stuff for all facets of life, like relationships, uh, eating, drinking, social media, uh, dating, a good part of it is also to stuff in the workplace. And what I found since the time I put the book out, which came out in November, that the strongest reaction I've had is from people who talk to me about their shared frustrations at work and how they can use these words. And it's a way to laugh at the behavior that, that frustrates them or maybe their own behavior that they want to fix. So, okay. So I got, uh, I have to say, you know, the first thing we come across, you know, we work with a lot of different clients on a lot of different stuff and certainly poor communication, especially between departments in teams. Um, it's, we, we see a lot of, uh, culture, corporate culture problems and, a lot of the reasons things perhaps aren't going very well do kind of come down to poor culture problems in the workplace. And a lot of times that stems from bad communication. Also, it doesn't help that there's sometimes not a lot of trust, et cetera, et cetera. But I think um, one of the, there is a bit of, uh, how do I say this? I think there is a bit of hesitation when it comes to communicating in the workplace or talking about communicate communication in the workplace because of some of the history and there's like these it's like these two pendulums where on one hand the pendulum goes uh workplace communication like it 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 should be more fluid and more natural and less professional perhaps between you know the higher up bosses who are maybe trying to be cool you got the you the ceos and the in you know, casual clothes and the, the less sort of less formal. And then, uh, and then the pendulum swings back and it's like, well, no, we, we should be formal and professional and, um, sort of use complicated language to seem important. And then it swings back the other way. And it's like, no, you got to use buzzwords. And so, well, you know, uh, <laughs> what was, um, uh, and I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, did you have a list of favorite or least most despised corporate buzzwords? that you've come across <laughs> in your many, many years? Because I want to know those for sure. All right. Well, I can say about words that create so much problems for people because they didn't actually mean the original words. Like, mm. I think there's certain words, like sometimes buzzwords is in itself a buzzword. Yeah, Like, sure. and, and Like when, when you talked about first, like your choice of what is your tone. And so I would find the in-between, I'd use the word professional, like a combination of personal and professional. And that stuck with one company that was deciding that same thing of how to come across professional, but with a personal touch, but still mindful of that you are in a workplace. So it's not like you're going to do anything that might give HR a lot of problems. But to your earlier point, you talked about culture. And that's the thing. 
is it starts with trust, just like in personal relationships. Yeah. It all starts with trust because when you have trust, you're willing to be vulnerable. And when you're willing to be vulnerable, you're willing to be creative, just like creative with your communication. It's the same thing in the workplace. If you don't have trust, that's it's not going to work. It, it just isn't because you don't trust how what you're saying will be misinterpreted. But what I found has worked when, I, when I've used this and I haven't I have given impromptu little workshops is you say this is a safe space. You know, this is first. Let's just have fun. Who here has made up words for the things that that first they enjoy? And then you can talk with people in groups about what frustrates them. And I there's a word for there's a fun word for people like with those things they can't stand those words you said. And I call it jargon monoxide. Yeah, like carbon monoxide. Oh, man, that is so good, and yet I want to roll my eyes, but it's too good to do. That's that's great. Dang. Well, what I do in the book <laughs> is I talk about so the things months. that are related to those situations. Like, I think a good part of it comes from when people don't really think about the words they use. Like, let me just tell you something that I would hear in the workplace from, I hate to say, 20-somethings. And when I'd ask them something or just do standard stuff, they say, awesome or perfect for things like I could just be giving my last name. I mean, the worst situation I had is when someone called me and my significant other's dad had passed away uh, just the week and I'd come back from the funeral. She asked how I was doing. I said, you know, my, um, my partner's dad passed away and she immediately went, oh, awesome. And I think that is so not awesome. And, and it showed, I know this is like what I call filler flabber when you are just using filler words as a way of pretending that you're interested in a conversation that you're really not paying attention to. And why? You're probably be feeling like you gotta do 10 things at once. Uh, another word, I have messy tasking because you are multitasking with less than ideal results. So rather than me getting upset with this, with this young woman, I remembered that word of uh, filler flabber and somebody not thinking about their choice of words. So it put me in a better mood. But the other things that when you hear marketing speak, uh, one thing when I would hear such as sometimes even the word optimize, it, it's such a, a nondescript word that people use to sound important when they're not. Uh, and there's another word I use called important. Somebody who is trying to sound important but really isn't because you can tell they don't know what the heck they're talking about uh, or a not spurt. So a not spurt, someone who pretends to be an expert. So I would come up with these words to describe the things that made me want to pull my hair out. Or maybe it could be something at work. Like if the internet goes out, I would say we don't have an internet, we have an internet. And it, and it diffused the tension when people were under stress and under deadlines. But words like, I th I'd say the most recent example that I dealt with was when one product owner was trying to use the term white glove to describe services that she expected from our vendors. And the vendor's understanding of white glove was not her understanding, but because they didn't include it in the contract, it had nothing to do with the product owners understand who didn't even understand the actual origin of the word. Just like what I found, that's the problem is we can both be speaking English, but we're not communicating effectively. And why? We don't necessarily understand either the definition of the words and how they can be either misinterpreted or maybe we don't interpret it correctly. Uh, and sometimes this comes down to being siloed, siloed in our communication. So that's why I decided to do this book and this program around explaining that's the problem in, in the workplace is we need to improve our emotional intelligence of having this awareness and not just going out, putting out stupid words that cause so many problems that really shouldn't be there. I think it's like if you're in an industry, there are these terms of art that are, um, in my opinion, cues they're like little flags like we're using the word that people in the industry use so you know that we know like we're 
we're like, it's not that we're speaking the same language. We're both sort of speaking gibberish, but it's the same gibberish. It's like we're using the right buzzwords, the right sort of corporate speak to communicate that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, you know, we're, you're going to, we're going to be thinking in the same way. And so, yeah, it's stuff like the, the white glove, um, throwing AI into everything. Uh, that's, that's, that's my, we, I, we, I think, I think I've seen, uh, more software called AI in the last six months than, uh, ever, every, everything has to be AI. Um, but the, but like, just sort of, if you use a lot of the fancy words that you see in other marketing in your industry, it's almost like it, um, it sort of self, it, it self propagates itself where some the the companies um or i mean i think the best example is apple who started putting i in front of everything and then all the other companies started putting i in front of everything but then that's not that now it's not cool anymore so so it's like this it it is interesting how people position what they say and how they say it to try and sound like they are a certain type of something i don't know if you agree if that makes any sense well, well, to your point about Apple, you know, the saying imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Uh, however, if if you don't understand how your product could be misinterpreted to be something, then again, that causes confusion. So like you said, the, the, the I uh, as the precursor to the phone, the pad, yeah. uh, all those things is now associated with Apple, the same way of how the term Kleenex is associated with tissue. Uh, or when we might have said things about a copier with, with, with IBM or a Canon. And because those just became the standard, uh, and that's that's the best type of brand you can do when you own a word, is people associate with you. Just like how I call myself Grandtastic, or I have my book Grandtasms, and I have no competition for that. And in fact, as Susan knows, um, when I when I was in the the search and optimization web design space, my company is called Grandtastic Designs, and and a, and a creative word is an invitation to a conversation. It's 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 something you can maybe have a laugh over. And that creativity makes you feel more confident, but also makes you more charismatic. And, and that was what really, really worked along your choice of words. And that's where I call twisted. And by twisted, I mean this. I mean familiar enough, but with a twist. Something you're not expecting that makes the other person go, ooh, tell me more. And th that, that means sometimes you're willing to take a risk with your creativity. Just like with Apple willing to say, I this or I that, I Mac. And I remember them being mocked. Uh, I remember being mocked by Bill Gates over saying it was a silly thing and you couldn't treat it as a serious computer for a while. Uh, and granted, it did, didn't look like the most professional thing, but it caught on. So there's, but for a word to stick, and when I say be real, you have to be able to communicate it effectively with somebody else who can relate to that. And that's where the storytelling part comes in. Because what I found is, People, especially in the tech space, could do a lot better with knowing how to tell a story and sometimes how to tell a story to be succinct. And in my Grandtasms book, every single one of these twisted words of mine has an anecdote, a little short story that actually happened to me because that's what makes it relatable. That's what makes it like a prompt for me to bring up naturally. And I could find other people would share their same words or maybe a different meaning for that based on their own story. And, and so it really built a connection but, but back to your point about you know, the choice of words that you use, whenever you do something creative, you take a risk on, will people get you? And that's where you also have to know how to be a good storyteller and not just, here's a word. 
Mm. Yeah, you know, one thing I, I wanted to comment on that you guys were talking about, or I guess, Grant, you were talking about a while ago, was this idea of, you know, the the professional persona you put on versus, you know, maybe who you, quote, really are. The way we feel that it, there's, it's almost like we really think that when we go to work, we can be something other than human. You know, it's like we're people. We're people at our homes. We're people at the grocery store. We're you know, we're still a human when we're at work. And um, I do think that, that I, I mean, it, it's a good thing that perhaps sometimes at work we're uh, a, a little, uh, you know, we're, we're not letting everyone know everything about ourselves. But at the same time, I think sometimes we go overboard with that and feel like we can't be ourselves. And it does lower that vulnerability, which I think does have an impact on, you know, our relationships and communication and trust. Sometimes I wonder if, um, Guthrie, if some of these, you know, corporate uh, culture problems that that we talk about, that uh, if a lot of them stem from the fact that we think we have to, you know, be different when we're at work. I mean, I think a lot of people are act uh, once how do I say this? The first time we meet someone, they are one way and then like 5 minutes after they get to know you and they get to be like, "Oh, I'm not going to be judged to be like a little more informal." Then they just relax. And then it just turns into sort of a normal chit-chatty conversation. Are you talking about at work or in life or both? When we when we go into new places and like the first time we meet, you know, vice. I mean, when we're working with clients. Yeah, you know, yeah, like you know, uh, you know, uh, senior director of so and so. Yeah. And like it, it, um, people. I just, I just don't think uh, people feel that ability to, at least. In some departments, it is interesting. I feel like in more of the marketing areas, more of the consumer side, um, people tend to be tend. It seems a little more acceptable to be quirky and take risks and uh, like 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 again like doing the whole iPhone thing. It is quirky, and it's kind of interesting and it's novel. And maybe it's too quirky now and people want to be more serious. I don't know. But but it but I feel like that's like a little more well accepted, whereas in the B2B space, in more of the, you know, less consumer focused, I feel like there is more pressure to take less risks and being quirky can sometimes be frowned upon, even if it's totally unconscious. Hmm. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to comment on something else that both of you guys were talking about, which is this idea of um, that the the special vocabulary, right, of of the field you're in. And I understand what you're saying that sometimes people use the special language either because they think they're supposed to, like you know, you know we we have to. We have to say our app is based on AI because our competition says that. But I also think that 
um, or or maybe someone is talking is throwing around. You know, I'm thinking Guthrie about the the design field and the user experience field where we have very particular. I mean, you and I spend. I, I we just spent a lot of time this week. You know, writing, uh, creating handouts for one of our. Uh, workshops where a lot of it was, you know, terminology and what it means, right? And and so some, I understand that sometimes that can, sometimes some people throw these specialized terms like, uh, you know, persona or cognitive walkthrough or heuristic evaluation. They use those terms in order to be impressive, but sometimes. You know, those terms have very special meanings, and it's not that you're trying to seem important. It's that you are trying to communicate clearly, and that the the distinction amongst some of these terms and what that implies in terms of the work and how it gets done and what the results are, those distinctions are important distinctions in terms of doing the work. So where's that line? And I mean, are are both of you, Guthrie and Grant, saying you know you're better off not using specialized terms? I mean, where do we right? Because I use them all the time. I mean, I you know I'm maybe I'm just defending my my own behavior, but you know I I I Guthrie, you you're on these calls with me. I, we spend a lot of time talking about you know what actually is the difference between this term and that term but you know you i i have seen you because you because you definitely bill yourself as an expert and i have seen you go into a room and you use a bunch of big terminology that you know what it means you are an expert it's i don't think you're over stretching uh overreaching what you know um but you know you use those and it that seems to impress people for sure yeah, well, uh, yeah, but that, I mean, are you saying that's why I'm doing it? I didn't no. think I was doing it for that reason. But. No, it just, it seems to work out pretty well when you do. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm kind of curious. Do you yeah. ever think about like having a cheat sheet, like a glossary? Because this is what I was doing. I work for Dell Technologies in the role of tech trainer. And I put together everything from business cases to how to, to guides, to playbooks. And I was really careful about my choice of words when I knew who the audience was was and I knew the audience would be some people got the terms a lot of people didn't so I made sure that I had a little mini glossary I mean Susan you probably remember from my days uh, that uh, one of the popular things about my site was having an SEO glossary but I also had a banner design glossary uh, I had a graphic design glossary because I did graphic design uh, in, in the early days of the web too and it was it was a huge success on getting a lot of organic traffic and then I found Never assume that um, everyone knows what you're talking about. I mean, I say this, be mindful of social context, know who your audience is, and if you're not sure, ask. Ask who the stakeholders are, but I will say this, half the time, the people who were the stakeholders were, were wrong because they did not treat their audience like customers. They did not include them. They made so many assumptions and they thought that what they knew must be somehow what everybody else knew, which, which makes no sense but that's the mindset and i know why this happens efficiency it's like shorthand 
it's it's a way for people like I say who who know this lingo but at some point they forget they're not around those people anymore just like you might be speaking spanish with somebody and you forget that there's two new people that don't speak spanish and and that's what i say you 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 lose that sense of mindfulness which causes problems i really really recommend to people like you say the special vocabulary it really comes down to first asking what people don't understand and that comes to a corporate culture because believe me, some people don't want to feel dumb in a in a conference call and not ask. Me, I would always ask. And when I would ask, I would take that down. Uh, I use a wonderful program called Evernote, and that became my library, and I became the librarian. So when a word came up and somebody wasn't sure about it, I could share it with that person. Uh, they always knew to ask me during the call. And then I would give context to saying, here's an example, and I would build this library. Uh, so that's what I say is when you're presenting or talking with people, don't assume, even if they're nodding your heads, because in some cultures they just nod their heads to be polite, but they don't necessarily understand what you're saying. Have a little cheat sheet, have a glossary. And yes, I even find this, have a fun word there around what's the point you're trying to get across. Maybe it's the problem you're looking to solve. Well, I think, I mean, first of all, we do, I agree with you. And we do have, I mean, that's what we were spending a lot of time this week doing was uh, putting together some some uh, lists and definitions of, of these terms for a workshop that we're teaching. And I think because because we do a lot of teaching, you know, we're used to that mode of, of not assuming that, that everybody does know the, either the particular terms or, or, or procedures or processes we're talking about. But I think also sometimes, here's my take on it, sometimes these special terms that we might have and whether it's a twisted term like you do, Grant, or whether it's just a, quote, regular term, unquote, um, sometimes those terms, and when when I use very particular language in, with certain audiences and certain contexts in meetings or in a workshop, it the language gets across a, a really important concept that, that you know, I, I there's so much you know, in our, in the field that we're in, behavioral science, behavioral economics, um, user experience, design, there are these really important ideas and concepts that are not necessarily intuitive and obvious. And we want to communicate those. So for example, you know, we might want to communicate what a mental model is and how that's different than a conceptual model. And, you know, those are terms that, you know, most people, a lot of people may not know what that is or what that means, or, you know, it may not even seem important. And, and what we're trying to say is that the concept of a mental model, the fact that people have an idea in their head of how a particular product or technology works. That's a really important concept for someone who's doing design to understand because that that opens up this whole idea that my mental model as a designer might not be the same as the mental model of the people who are using this thing I'm designing. And am I forgetting that? Am I making assumptions about the mental model of the audience that maybe I shouldn't be making? Am I assuming that what works 
for me, my mental model works for them. And have I have I taken the time and energy to to design this thing, uh, give it a conceptual model, uh, design that means it'll fit the audience's mental model. And so, you know, we we're using these terms, mental model, conceptual model, but we're using them because we're trying to get across, you know, an, a concept, an idea, a different way of looking at things. And, you know, maybe in a way, Grant, it's the same thing as the, the, as your, um, your ideas of, you know, these special words as well. And it's interesting, Guthrie, because I'm thinking about, you know, when we teach our workshops, we build in a lot of aha moments and laughter, right? And, uh, as we're introducing these words and these concepts. So I wonder if we're kind of doing what Grant is doing, but just in a little different way. Maybe, I don't know. I, I, yeah. do, I do think we try to, I think there is something to, you, you, gotta, you gotta mix things up. I do think it does put people at ease because I think it does show that you're being vulnerable as well. And then, and any way you that you show your vulnerability, I think other people then feel that comfortable to be vulnerable back. I would also add to that humor is is mm. a great way to mm. diffuse attention for people who are nervous yeah. too. Like like how you describe Susan. I mean, I know you're you're a really, really good teacher. I remember my time working with you and I, I love teaching. Uh, I also know and because a good part of it was not about what you know but about learning what the other person knows and getting out of them to make them feel smart, to make them feel empowered, to make them feel joyous, to make them feel fulfilled, uh, to get them to what their goals are. And part of that is it's not just here's the info or going by a book, but reading the crowd or reading that one person and making them feel like you're giving them your, your, your personal attention. And as examples is, because I have a graphic design background and a cartoonist background, I would sometimes include little illustrations and, and have that humor, just like I could say, okay, mental model versus contextual model. And I could say, you know, here's what it's not. And then do something funny about that first off, because, uh, you know, acknowledging what are the assumptions, but in a way that becomes an icebreaker. Like I'll give the example of when I was talking with people who too often they would just fill their PowerPoint slides with tons of bullets, multiple charts, because they want to get everything on their notes on this slide because they had this incredible anxiety about not sharing everything about a program they're trying to promote. And I came up with the word PowerPointless. When you, when you overflow it and people can't focus on anything. And that got my point across, but it was also my way to teach best practices about how to do a deck. And I could show the success and I could show A-B testing and I could show things that they trusted. But it was that one word that became the anchor for the point that I was trying to get across. Like if you were going to say, OK, mental model versus contextual model, sometimes with the way you you as a, as a teacher would explore. All right. Anyone here who want to take us on what does this mean? Hear, hear, hear them, put it on the board, put it on the whiteboard. And then adding to that or the other way could simply be is let's compare these or let's acknowledge some of the humor side of where people have mistakenly assumed what this has been. So you're, you're letting the you're letting the elephant in the room and you're just diffusing it. So now people are in a good mood and they don't feel so dumb if they really don't understand that because you can say other people don't understand this. It's OK. Uh, and that way 
you're you're introducing to people to a concept or even the people who understand these terms are not just feeling here's the info but you're kind of telling them a story and taking them along the journey so i think uh i i have another question for you grant i am self-proclaimed terrible at marketing i admit it freely i don't get it you don't even like it i don't even like it <laughs> i have i'm a very personable person i enjoy communicating i am good at putting together like i'm great at writing emails i'm great at uh, communicating through words and he's very humble obviously i'm i'm the humblest person in the whole world uh, would, would you like to put the crown on him now and, uh, and, and have him sit on the iron throne but that, actually, that is my dream every this night is all true but he really doesn't like so whenever you know we're a small company and yeah. and so if 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 we need you know we meaning if i need to or he needs to you know do we, we do have someone who helps us with marketing but if if we need to do something you know, marketing like, uh, he's just like, oh no, oh no, yeah, and, and tries like, to get get that delegated to someone else. He does I feel not like, like the doing things it. that I think are really great always fall flat, and the things that oh the marketing ideas, yeah, and then the things that I'm not so sure about, then they sometimes <laughs> do great, and I I just I can't figure it out, and I could really use not not to say do this or do that because you know that's that's. That's not really your spectrum, but can you just give me some, how, how can I, how can I like think about things in a different way that maybe is going to help me sort of understand mar the, the communication side of marketing? Cause I, I just, I can't seem to wrap my head around it. Oh, that, that's fine. And by the way, there are a lot of marketers who don't really understand marketing and act <laughs> like they do. And that's where they'll use these buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've dealt with people who are just terrible at it, but they're more of salespeople for marketing than they are actually marketers because mm. marketer really depends on data. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like you, Guthrie, is I, I worked in social media, but there was so much about social media that I couldn't stand where for so much it was about access under false pretenses. Then it was about relationship building. But at the same time, you also have to think of, OK, we're a capitalist society. How do we pay the bills and how can we do something? That doesn't make us feel like significantly less of a person who we are. We don't have to be someone else because that's what gets the gigs. And and that's a tough thing for some people. Others have no problem doing it and can turn on, turn off. That doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't cause problems in other aspects of their life. But there's a lot of things about marketing I don't like either. And I think that's the nice thing is can you specialize but also understand other people's roles? Like even though – I did web design for a lot. I, I didn't like all the work, but I understood what went, what went into it. Just like I try to learn what, what does IT have to do or what did people do when I was working on Dell for live video events. I learned every part about it because it was a way for me to gain empathy. As a way for the marketing aspect of communication, things like A-B testing. This is what I bring back to search engine optimization because that was the proof. Just uh, It was the proof that I'm, I was so grateful to be in the beginning days of it, well before pre-Google when there were so many search engines around and I got invited out to uh, the, the search engine companies to explain the human side uh, to these programmers about how people search. And, and so it was the same stuff. I was explaining the marketing side to people who they were really good from a programming standpoint, brilliant, but they lacked the, the empathy. They lacked uh, the mindfulness of social context. So what I always say is learn about your audience 
and then pay attention to what things work and what don't. And understand this is that allow yourself to fail. Say, let's try this, but maybe can you base it on past experience and then do a short test? And then that way you find out maybe if you're like saying maybe the communication in advertising or an email newsletter or maybe a video series and be very clear, just like as Susan would know when I want to talk about landing pages, it's the same thing. That is communication with marketing, but you're paying attention to what works better than the other, and then you could tweak it again. You can tweak it again. Just like when I did the book, I first had beta readers, and the beta readers would tell me what they really liked, and so I knew to do more of that but get rid of the other stuff, and I got rid of the assumptions I had about what people wanted, and when I did that, it made me a much better writer. It also made me a better marketer because now I can understand who my target audience is and what kind of products should I do on top of the book that would allow for sustainability in the financial space. Mm. Yeah, I think you're not convinced, are you? No, I'm super convinced. That was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. So here's the problem. I, <laughs> Susan, if you I don't, do you actually would you actually like to know? Yeah. Oh, OK. I'll try to make it as fast as possible. That's I think he's totally right. I think one of the problems is, is that I do seem to understand our audience. And or, well, OK, I'll take that back. I have I have some guesses. It seems like they really like famous people. And it sort of seems like if you're if you're the sort of if you could become a big name in the space, that's that's um that's sort of where the the big names in the space suck up all the uh air in the room. And I think the, the problem I, I have seen that um, through some of I don't I don't want to say testing, but th through my time doing stuff, what always seems to work is exposure. So it, I, 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 I think, you know, maybe the messaging's OK, but it's like when we have something that is ex that gets a lot of exposure, that's sort of when the business side follows which i guess is that's the whole point of doing the marketing but one of the problems we run into is because we're so small we have trouble scaling and so we have trouble gaining traction because again the the big the big fish in the pond do um use up a lot of the air and i think that's perhaps per if we're talking if we're just talking personally i think that's where my personal frustrations have been um or maybe that's my guess as to why I don't understand it or why things haven't been working just because the scale is too small. So. Well, well, Guthrie, I can I can kind of speak to that because Susan knows this from from my early days of SEO. And there was so much in, misinformation. Now, granted, the web makes things a lot more egalitarian as well as social does, too, if, if that's the kind of person that you can thrive in and be consistent and really dedicate the time and pay attention to to a lot of stuff or just be so different out there. That, that people start to notice a whole bunch of factors in place. And sometimes just just luck. Uh, the, the other part is that when you're talking about, you know, to scale, it's when you're competing with so much misinformation, just like just like we were in the early days of their company, so much of the time would be telling these people about people stuff that they didn't want to hear. 
but they'd eventually come to us saying, yeah, you're right along, but now our budget's only 10% what it was because this other these other people told us what we wanted to hear. And the key today is to build trust earlier on with content marketing. I mean, what can you put out where your advertising, your promoting is genuine help, something of genuine value, whether it's a video series or like this podcast series you do. And what would be, what uh, what problems for the audience you are you are able to solve for them, you know, in a way like take the this podcast series. I did I did podcasts when I worked in the video marketing space, and I always thought is who is the audience and what will I be able to help them with? If if it was legal tips, like if I was interviewing attorneys around the early days of video, then I would always make sure we're saying what are three things could be really valuable for this audience to take away, and then that made it helpful, but I also made sure it was entertaining. It showed my point of view, but I'm more comfortable with that because I've worked in talk radio. So I have, I have that advantage. Uh, when it's, when it's something that you want to distinguish yourself from, this comes down to competitive and competitive research. Like when I did my book, Grandtasms, I checked and see, you know, who on Amazon, who are my competitors? Uh, I had to make, figure out how to change the title so it didn't get mistaken for something else or that I could show up organically or that it could be something clearly explanatory or that the thumbnail image would show up on a small size. All of these things that I took a little time to put myself like in, in the role of the potential customer. So I would say for for your company, it could be something of what makes you so different that people can't forget you? Like, what is your point of view about these things? What makes you different? Because, I mean, there's the line, different is better than better. Some Most of the time, sometimes it's not. Sometimes better is better. But if you could say what makes you different, then, and knowing what are the keywords that people would search for or make that a consistent part of your messaging, then that's how your audience would be able to know you versus who might be these bigger companies. But you'll have that you'll come across as more personal and i think there'll there's always a market for that who is looking for for that kind of team you just have to really know how to distinguish yourself and that is part of the message which really comes down to there's a there's the there's the clarity of words like what you guys were talking about earlier and then there's the twisted words so it makes someone goes ooh tell me more i'm curious hmm hmm <laughs> hmm and but that's what a grandiasm is. A grandiasm what? is a hmm and a mmm. What's all the hmms, Guthrie? Hey, just, you know, thinking about marketing. Well, now there's a big change. No, I, I thought about it before, but, oh. you know. I, do, I, I mean, yeah, I, go I, I wear a lot of hats, and it's probably my worst hat. That and speaking <laughs> other languages, probably my worst hat. You guys could do an article called We Hate Marketing. <laughs> and think about it. I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the UX pros, the tech pros who hate marketing and it could attract other people. So, you know what? I hate marketing too. It could be people who say I work in marketing. I hate marketing. They don't hate everything about it. Just like I worked in social media. Some stuff is wonderful. A lot of stuff I didn't care for. I, I thought about you know, I don't know that we, well, first of all, I don't want to say we hate marketing because a lot of our clients are in marketing, but I, I think that that's the most for meta me, marketing ever. What? It's the most meta marketing push ever. <laughs> no, but I, I think that I don't understand. I think for me, it's that I don't know that we really understand marketing. I, it's not that I hate it. Well, you you actually really don't like doing it, whereas I don't. You know, I so, I don't mind doing it. I or in fact, sometimes I enjoy doing it, but I just am not confident that you know that I'm doing it 
effectively. And I, and I and and I hope that that some of the people out there that are listening to this who know about marketing, I'm hoping they'll, that you know, please feel free to reach out and set us straight because obviously we're confused. But um, you know, you mentioned Grant, and sometimes it feels this way to us. It just seems like it's uh, luck, you know, like we happen to do the right thing at the right time and reach the right people. And, you know, I, and I'm enough of a scientist. I mean, I, you know, I'm a science nerd. So it makes me feel like, no, it's not luck. It's just that you don't have the right data and, or you aren't doing it correctly and, or you're not spending enough time and money. And so given, you know, those three things, doing it correctly, spending enough time and money, uh, we could probably, you know, we would we would be much more effective. So I, to me, I always think of it as a choice. You know, we're just choosing to spend our time and money in other ways and not spend them that much on marketing. That's that's my take on it. But I don't know. Maybe that's just a way of rationalizing the fact that we don't really know what we're doing with marketing. I think I think you both probably know a little more than you think. Because like you just said, data, I work with marketers who never worked in data. They might come over from PR and they'll use terms that make absolutely no sense. And I've seen them fall flat on their faces. One was a marketing director of a company and didn't look at data. Uh, I, I even asked her, who is your target audience? And she said, everybody. And I, and I thought, are you crazy? <laughs> it, it made no sense. But what they were doing is they were incorporating old mentality of you know, uh, spray and pray. And that doesn't work. Uh, I mean, if, if somebody came from a big brand where they could do that and pummel you with ads, but now people are very, very jaded about that. And and how I say this is, I don't mean as in you hate marketing, uh, literally, as in even people who are passionate about marketing, there's some things that they hate. Uh, just like you, you both understand the importance uh, of it and the importance of doing it effectively. And that's something that can be outsourced. And versus those who say that, okay, marketing is stupid and then try to replace it with something else and being very closed minded about these things, just like people mm -hmm. might be closed minded about what you do, or just like I've mm -hmm. even heard a few people say, making up words is stupid. And then, and then I'll, and then they'll say, how do you know? I says, well, and I'd ask him because you didn't Google it. And by the way, Google's a word, how about our made up word Bing? I mean, all words in the dictionary are made up. And I even devoted a chapter to our history of language. And 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 that was the fun part for me to deal with who I call be a naysayer. Because you'll always deal with naysayers who say, don't do this or don't do that. But it's usually to hide an insecurity that they have. Uh, I would really say with on 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 marketing, there's there could always be something about how marketing and and user experience collide and work together and data is always the sweet spot. But if it's not if it's not in your energy level, don't feel like you have to any more than somebody who doesn't like mechanics telling them that they always have to fix their own car. Now, it might be great if you're traveling out in a snowstorm and knowing how to fix a flat tire. That's a basic thing. But you don't have to do everything. You don't have to change the oil. It's we have that's where your social circle comes in or that's where it come, you know, having someone take care of these things, but just being aware enough of what they're doing. And that person explains it to you. And that's what I mean by, you know, having good communication saves a lot of trouble. And you just tell people only what they need to know. Don't get in the weeds. There you go, Guthrie. Um well, we, we have, I've been, I've been so busy, uh, Grant, you'll, you'll find this, you'll find this amusing. Um, 
we uh we're gonna put together a marketing plan for 2020 and it's march and we have been so busy we haven't even got we are we oh well yeah we, we're always we're always planning <laughs> something we always oh. put together a little something Okay, you know what? That's not in the Kanban board. That's it's not the like Kanban it's board. we're so. Uh, it's because we're. Well, that is bit... ironic. We're so we have so much work. Yeah, so it's billable work. That's billable why we're. Work it, it always clients. comes first. Clients right? are paying us money to do work, that so we don't have time to do marketing. So that is not a necessarily a bad problem to have. It's true. Right, yeah. but That's yeah, very all admirable. right. Guthrie, you, that that is your marketing, where these people can promote you. <laughs> Testimonials. You know, let let them do the mark. The the best marketing is the marketing other people do for you. There you go, Guthrie. That I'm gonna write that. I'm gonna write that on. <laughs> really, piece of paper, we need uh, we need a whiteboard. Phone. Put that put that in big <laughs> capital letters on the, on the whiteboard. I agree. I'm gonna I am gonna do that. Um, Grant, if people want to get in touch with you. Um, well, first of all, let's let's make sure everyone knows about the book, so they can go to their favorite bookseller, right? If and your favorite bookseller is Amazon, or if you say, "Hey, Grant," you see me with a book in my hand. Either way, and uh, <laughs> it's the name not, not yet out in the in the other places. It's it's been a bit of test, but it is on Amazon in okay. paperback and ebook. And it's right called Grantasms. Grantasms. Right, as an ASMS, Grantasm, first name Grant. So G R A N T A S M S. And then it's Creative Twisted Words for Cool People. And uh, the, how can yeah. people get hold of you if they want to get hold of you for something? If they want to get a hold of me, the email, uh, they can reach me at uh, info, I N F O, at one twisted squirrel.com. Uh, um, you can, of course, uh, I also have other domains. If you also remember the word grandtasms, you can just do uh, info at grandtasms.com. Uh, but um, another place you can reach me if you're on Instagram, I have uh, an Instagram channel also called One Twisted Squirrel, where I do a visual grandtasm a day. And uh, if you're on there, you can message me there as well. I have a Facebook author page or for grandtasms again g-r-a-n-t-a-s-m-s i'm also on youtube for that it's my name grant kroll uh or you can just do grandtast g-r-a-t-a-s-t i have um i have my book trailer i'm also going to be um, uploading a lot of videos um, i just recently shot them of on some are some of my favorite grandtasms and some that i talk with other people on the power of making up and sharing your own twisted words for things like playful mindfulness, focus, some are for ADHD folks, but really it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. It's like these are things we all deal with. And basically the theme is word creations for smart connections. You know, make communication fun again. That's great. See, Guthrie, he's got lots of marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, hey, what, what other thing I wanted to say, I don't know if we've done this before, but yeah. I wanted to, uh, on the podcast, I want to start a mailbag. A mailbag? What's a mailbag? What do you mean? How do you not know what a mailbag is? Well, I mean, how do you mean a mailbag in this context? People can, uh, can, uh, send us questions. I love that idea. People and, don't send us questions. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I see... Hey, I see the the number of people who download this podcast, and it is very, very, very many. So either <laughs> they're not listening number. to the end, 
you know? Yeah, maybe we should have said this at the beginning. Oh, well, yeah, probably, actually. All right, we'll do it at the beginning, we'll at the beginning and, and, and I'll mention it. Maybe but if, if people have, you know, we cover a lot of different topics on the show. If anyone has a specific question, a question uh, topic they, can, they would like yeah, us they to should, talk Yeah, just email it to info at theteamw.com, and maybe yeah. we'll answer it. Maybe we'll be flooded with, with emails. Ooh. Come on, guys, flood us. But flood you know, I just I think I think it'd be fun. It'd be nice to have some uh, questions from the audience that we can like ask guests and stuff. Yeah. So I love this it. is this is my new this is my new plan. So again, this info is... at theteamw.com. Is this a marketing plan? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, Grant. It's just, uh, it's Grant, yeah. thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I'm looking for an next episode where, where I can hear the rustling sound of a huge mailbag. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll work on that. I'll, uh, yeah, right. giant, giant sack of letters. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.